The Guardian. Hello, I'm Matt Wells, coming up on this week's Media Talk. If you go down the line that this is angry jihadists, then the reasons would be the presence of Norwegian troops in, in Afghanistan, their involvement, Norway's involvement over Libya. It could be involvement over cartoons. Some jihadists tend to kind of lump all the Scandinavian countries in together. Mass killings and wild speculation. After dozens of people are killed in the Norway terror attacks, we ask why the media got it so wrong. Also in the podcast, former BBC Digital Chief Ashley Highfield is announced as the new CEO of Johnston Press. Uh, no, we can't believe it either. Plus, Andy Parfit steps down as the controller of Radio 1, having lumped his successor with another two and a half years of Chris Moyles. And a semi-legendary podcast presenter prepares to exit stage left but promises not to cry. It's a phone-hacking free zone, well, mostly. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, in the week that L'Oreal had not one but two ad campaigns banned for excessive airbrushing, we have a trio of media talkers here in all their natural beauty. Maggie Brown has been a media reporter since well, about 1812, but she still looks like she stepped out of a salon. Hello, Maggie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm wearing my Lancome tinted moisturiser, which Julia Roberts has so graciously <laughs> promoted. Oh, excellent. Oh, you, you look marvellous, Maggie. Um, also here because he's worth it is Paul Robinson, who's the managing director of Kidsco TV. Uh, how are you, Paul? I'm good. But of course, I love radio because I've got the perfect face for it. Yeah, and that's not true at all. Uh, finally, John Plunkett is here with his uh, rouge and mascara, I would say, uh, John, that you're wearing. Yes, I've not been airbrushed. John, of course, is a Media Guardian reporter. You you've did all the Media Guardian 100 profiles, didn't you? I did. Thank you for mentioning it, yes. Did you, uh, did you write every single one? Uh, no, not this year. No, it was right. a joint effort. Uh, unlike unlike the previous uh, seven or eight years, did you have to make some last minute changes? We did. There was a, there was a few uh, few exits and uh, <laughs> and a couple of Murdochs going down, and, yes. and, and a few judges coming up, which oh, is really? unusual Excellent. for a media list. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, <laughs> uh, there's uh, print, radio, and TV news to come, but we'll start this week by discussing the much criticised uh, media coverage of the um, shocking events in Norway. Uh, Anders Bering Breivik is now being held in solitary confinement as he waits trial for the mass killings he carried out uh, in the Oslo bombing and the shootings on a toy. Island. As the details of his horrific acts began to emerge on Friday, security experts appearing on rolling news channels were all too quick to say the bombing had all the hallmarks of an Al-Qaeda attack, which is a compulsory phrase these days, when they were proved wrong and it turned out that uh, Breivik rather enjoyed a bit of Melanie Phillips in his spare time, the commentariat rushed to their own defence and said that we didn't need to worry about him because he was a madman. Now, we're joined for this segment by uh, Neil Mann, who's a social media journalist. You probably know him as a field producer on Twitter. He also does a bit of news desking on the Sky Foreign Desk. Uh, he's with us on, on the Skype now. Hello, Neil. It, it's, it was a really fast-moving story and it's, it was interesting to see how how the media really jumped onto that on the kind of hallmarks of al-qaeda line wasn't it it was indeed i mean it is a difficult one it's a very very difficult one when these kind of things happen particularly with any sort of terrorist attack and i think this one was hard to respond to for a lot of news organizations because from the very beginning obviously details were sketchy um and there is always the need to try and get people on and also ultimately get as much analysis as possible from, from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, you've got experience of this on the sort of, you know, rolling news front line, so to speak. I mean, I mean what, what's the pr- pressure on, on someone like you when if, you, if you're manning the uh, news desk when something like this uh, happens? Well, I think obviously 
we've got to respond as quickly as possible. But I think one thing that is worth noting is that initial information that comes out in these kind of instances doesn't necessarily just come out from security analysis that news channels have on or mm. websites get in. I mean, The Guardian now is, is responding almost as quickly as, you know, 24-hour news channels does with its live blogging. Yeah, and and, you know, and, and we got it wrong as well. You know, to, um, it was, our, you know, our, our, new, our live blog carried a whole load of uh, al-Qaeda speculation as well. And I think one of the things is worth noting is that in all these kind of instances also, a lot of information comes, say, for example, from police sources, Norwegian police sources, Norwegian media is putting information out from that. And ultimately, the police have got it wrong as well at that stage. Mm. It's not necessarily just the news channels that have. And we're working with the information that we can get to respond as quickly as possible to ultimately incredibly fast-breaking news story. You use social media a lot in your um, well in your spare time, in, in, uh, but also in your in, in your day job as well, don't you? How has that changed the way that you respond to breaking stories? I mean, it's it's changed it's changed the way for starters, almost in the way that we actually see the breaking news story happen. I mean, often you would you would see these things develop not necessarily on the wires like they used to, or from a tip on on the phone. They'll actually you'll see them develop, say for example, within Twitter. Or, or within our other areas of social media. But then also, for us, it, it allows us to respond much more quickly when it comes to pictures from the scene or getting somebody on the phone who's actually an eyewitness. Um, and what we would always do is obviously use the, the normal checks that we would, say, for example, if we just got a, a normal phone call in from somebody saying they'd just seen something, just to see if there's any way we could clarify the fact they've actually been at the scene. Maggie, what what did you make uh, about the way that this this story has developed? If we can move it on, I think it's really interesting how how now that it, it's emerged that he wasn't you know uh, linked to Islamic terrorism. Quite the opposite. All the commentary around it has shifted from everything that you'd, you'd expect around the Al Qaeda kind of stuff to uh, now that oh he's he's just this madman and, and he's just a and we don't need to worry about the kind of discourse surrounding uh, these sorts of events. I, I found it a most uh, appalling and disturbing being weak and I have a lot of sympathy actually with the journalists involved because it's almost as if you've had a very clever strategist by diverting everyone's attention to the bomb in the centre of Oslo mm. uh, that became the story as opposed to this appalling slaughter of the and innocents. A, a, sure and, and a car bomb does you can see how yes. that you, you would jump to a, a, a terror, terrorist of conclusion. Of course you would it seemed like a classic case. Paul uh, the, the, the media does however had, um, have sort of a number of templates into which it slots certain events I suppose that's the only way you can deal with uh, with with big rolling news stories like that. And you just you know you have your uh, pull uh, pull the Al Qaeda button, get Frank Gardner on, and you know that's that's how it works. And you can totally understand that. And I think uh, I, two comments really. I think one is. I think it was a mistake not to be clear about labelling what was actually proven or, 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 or factual and what was speculation. I think the real risk is that speculation starts to be taken as fact once you've heard it many, many times. Um, secondly, I, I'm not sure whether uh, the channels need to clear everything to cover this story. I mean, suddenly, having gone from it being uh, all about news corporations, suddenly news corporations sort of gone from the yes. agenda and it's all about Norway. And I think maybe the desire to fill 24-7 with Norway caused us to fall into a trap actually of excessively speculating yeah. and there was witness after witness who was saying the same thing all being caught by the previous person it's funny this happened with oh, i was going to mention it, um, amy winehouse in a, uh, in a bit in a minute but but it, actually this is a good 
place to bring it up because that was, that's sort of what happened with, uh, you know, it was all about Norway. It was all about hacking, and then it was all about Norway, yeah, and then suddenly um, it's all uh, yeah. And it was very interesting seeing actually what the papers on Saturday led with, wasn't it? You know, all of the broadsheets ran with Norway. All the tabloids had a photograph of Amy Winehouse. Um, ne- Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Neil, is there a um, is, is there a sort of um, I don't know a desire amongst uh, in in twenty four hour news to go with one big story and one dominant story? Is is that easier to do than lots of lots of different things all at once? It fits with with ultimately what um, I think a lot of viewers and what I've found through social media is that social media reflects the way that news mm. monsters stories, as it were. When something develops, say for example on Twitter, you'll see that actually the audience there is only talking about one thing. They will initially they were all over hacking for four or five days. That then disappeared. Then it was Norway. Then it was the same with Amy Winehouse. And I think. News organisations have traditionally, and news channels have traditionally always monstered stories, as it were, because it's very difficult sometimes to fit in a, a, another story in something which is so big, such as Norway or hacking mm. um, or Amy Winehouse. It's very difficult to do that. And I've, I found it really interesting seeing the same kind of thing develop on within social media with people who are actually just self-publishing. Yeah, um, um, people tend to talk about one thing um, all uh, all at once, don't they? Rather than kind of lots of different things. Some relief, in fact, that the hacking story wasn't going to continue because I think there was a risk that we in the media were absolutely fascinated and probably loving it. Yes, but I suspect consumers might have got a bit bored. Yeah, possibly. So you know, we may develop (laughs) as we go along. I mean, rolling news is not is not a a very long established. uh, a kind of channel. Not on TV, no. you, yeah. uh, John, you, you, you're waving a copy of the Sun in front of you. In, in front of me, what's the, Nor- Norway's nine eleven? Well, I think it's it's, uh, it's a it's a dilemma for for, for twenty four hour news channels how, uh, how much you uh, you cover these stories and also how much um, you get experts in to speculate. But I think it's 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 uh, it's much it's a much more dangerous game for newspapers to speculate, especially when your deadline comes up and goes by. And I mean, we saw that with the Sun when they splashed on Saturday with with Norway's nine eleven. Uh, and it had Al-Qaeda massacre, but it had Al-Qaeda in inverted commas, which is almost uh, sort of a, uh, you know, well, it may not be. Uh, and there's even one line on the front which says, uh, witnesses claimed uh, the maniac was blonde with blue eyes and spoke Norwegian, raising fears that he was a homegrown Al-Qaeda convert. You know, no, he, no, he was just he was just homegrown. But I mean, I mean, that will, you know, that will be, that will, will live with them for a long time, I'm sure, that front page. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. Um, uh, um, Neil, there's been quite a, a lot of criticism um, uh, over the Amy, the, the coverage of the Amy Winehouse death, uh, suggestions that the media could have, you know, handed her and, and, and all the rest of it. Um, do, you think do you think there's any lessons from that? I think there were. I mean, there were. Think, I think there were big differences between the way that the broadcast media approached the Amy Winehouse death and the way that a lot of the papers approached the Amy Winehouse death. I think broadcast media traditionally, particularly on on deaths, is it plays a much straighter line, and we were sticking with as much fact as possible. Uh, whereas, if you look at some of the paper reports, I think um, the Sun, for example, today is, is running a story about. Uh, the fact that Amy Winehouse may have quit drinking and that may have killed her, but it's not based on any autopsy report or anything yeah. like that. It's it's family sources, and there's a, a lot of supposition there and a, a lot of rumour um, comes around, whereas I think actually the broadcast media is very different, and we actually played a reasonably straight bat on that one. Okay. Uh, and Neil, thanks thanks very much for taking the time to uh, join us. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Uh, that'll do on that subject for now. You can follow all the developments uh, about Norway, of course, uh, over on uh, guardian.co.uk. 
Now, we've literally talked about nothing but phone hacking for the last three shows, so let's catch up on a few of the other media stories that have been around this week, and some have actually that have been buried for the past three weeks. Uh, we'll start with the newspaper industry, because Johnson Press uh, have made one of the most surprising appointments in, well, almost in all my many years covering the media. They've, um, they've appointed Microsoft and formerly BBC's Ashley Highfield as their new uh, CEO. He was, uh, of course, used to be the BBC's media and technology uh, chief, uh, and he's, he's going to get a golden hello worth half a million quid. I thought he, got, he had quite a few golden goodbyes recently as well. But, um, well, I mean, what, what, what have we been making of this, Maggie? This is I'm just a, very surprised. Yeah. When I saw it as a news item, I thought, yeah. what's that about? Because Johnson Press are the, the most sort of old fuddy-duddy of publishers that, that you, can, you can imagine. Well, I mean, I, I, I know mean, they own the Scotsman. Of course, they own a great many of our sort of so-called heritage titles <laughs> that are all titles. sadly going down the plug hole. Uh, I was just uh, gobsmacked because I knew him pretty well when he was at the BBC. I haven't really seen much of him at Microsoft. but He doesn't know anything about newspapers. What does he know about newspapers? I don't, well, I, the, the, the story is being spun, isn't it, that what Johnston Press needs to do is get into digital media, of which only 7% of their revenue um, is, is derived from that, that area. Yes, but, but they've and, got to get grow. out of newspapers first. You, to get out of newspapers and get into digital well, media, I mean, you need to have somebody uh, who understands both. Exactly. Is, does he understand publishing? Does oh, he understand content? Does he understand the newspaper business uh, I have absolutely is he going to go on a crash course somewhere maybe they're <laughs> going to send him off to an accelerated MBA in Harvard <laughs> yes. before he actually maybe that's why he needs his half a million quid in shares on the other hand the shares were at a very low point um, I suppose he's um, become accustomed to uh, what were very high BBC salaries uh, I, I'm just very very surprised and we have to note too though that this is a poison chalice because John Fry the person he's replacing who used to run Archant Press mm. a more family owned business uh, has only lasted two years and um, you know the share price is on the floor Yes, and the um, share price slipped a little bit lower following his appointment. I think. Exactly, <laughs> not far to go. But, but mind it, you, the market's falling. It did, and actually, the quote from the chairman of Johnson Press. I mean, talk about you know poison chalice. It said, you know, his combined online and media sector pedigree will be a major factor in ensuring we grow our business again. So yeah. no pressure, Ashley. No pressure. Taxi, taxi, Highfield. Uh, okay, elsewhere on Fleet Street, the Independent has a new editor. Uh, one of Chris Blackhurst's first acts was to suspend Johan Hari over more allegations of plagiarism. Um, we'll we'll do. Hari in a second. Who, uh, who's Chris Blackhurst? Oh, well, he's a former um, uh, independent newspaper journalist. That's where I worked with him and knew him. He's a, and he's been the um, city editor of the Evening Standard and via hmm. uh, the, the Express as well. So he's a very well experienced. respected. Yes, yes experienced. he's very experienced. He's very hardworking. Um, he's got um, huge numbers of, of, of contacts, really good contacts, and he knows the newspaper industry inside out. He's a very good writer. I mean, he can write most journalists yeah. under the table as well. I've got a lot of time for him and I think that this is a very uh, good appointment because he comes from within the stable, he understands that newspaper segment uh, he's prepared to um, have strong views and go out on, on a limb and he's nobody's fool mm. Now I said that, that, that that's interesting cause, cause, because cause that, that you could of course, with the owner ownership structure there, Lebedev in charge, you probably want somebody. I expect the journalist would want somebody who would stand up to Lebedev. And yeah, and you know, daily papers are very hard work. I mean, let's face it. I, I mean, Simon Kellner's had a very, very, very good innings, and uh, we know these papers are quite lightly staffed. They have to move fast all the time. Um, you know, Geordie Gregg was um, a sort of a magazine editor who came into the Standard mm. and has done a particular thing with it. The Independent done a pretty has good job, to, actually, yeah, and. and the independent has to fight its corner in you know a very tough market so i'm impressed It'd be interesting to see who becomes the city editor of the um standard because that's a very important job
job too. Yeah, that's a good job going, isn't it? Mm. Um, the, uh, well, as I said, one of his first uh, acts, actually, Maggie, was to suspend Johan Hari, and the Orwell Prize Council have announced they're stripping him of his award too. There's going to be an inquiry, isn't there, which is going to la- last a while, Andreas Whittam-Smith is going to do. Um, but, I mean, does, doesn't look good for Hari, does it? Well... You know, he's one of those uh, journalists who's risen very fast without a lot of proper experience. Um, Most of us have kicked around or been kicked around in quite a number of publications before we were actually trusted with columns and all the rest of it. Um, And I would say... (laughs) Some of us are still not trusted with it. (laughs) Well, I mean, Black has, has of course, done the right thing because if The Independent uh, can't trust its main columnists and its main writers, then what does it stand for as an independent newspaper? I think the kindest thing would be to send him back to journalism school. He should be sent yeah. to City University. Because he's a great a, columnist, but not a good journalist. He's a great writer, but yeah. not a good journalist, yeah. yes. Um, Yet, he may become a good yeah. journalist. What do, you make about, um, what do you make, John, of uh, Simon Kellner's term as uh, uh, time, as tenure, as, as editor and editor-in-chief? I mean, as Maggie said, he, he's had a really long innings. Yes, yeah, I think it was 13 years, was it, I think? Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, think, I think it's been a triumph, yeah. I mean, it's, I said, actually, going back to the Media Guardian 100 um, last year, that you, uh, in his profile, that you couldn't really imagine the independent without him. Mm. And now you haven't got to imagine it because it <laughs> is without him but uh but no i think i think he'll look back i think he's done a fantastic job and i think um um i mean he kept it above water he had a, a, yeah, a, a I mean, tiny staff alive, compared yeah. to the yeah. you know rival rival uh, broadsheets can um, I insert here i actually worked with him on the very first issues because he was the deputy sports editor so he was literally sitting as close to me as say matters and um, he close. has huge energy and he had this huge passion for the paper yeah. and he had a real rat natural raw talent as as an editor and a journalist and uh, you know that's that's really been one of the sustaining factors of his uh, his, his his career. Uh, uh, to, talking about people uh, stepping down after long careers, um, Paul, your old friend Andy Parfit is leaving as controller of Radio One, also after 13 years in charge, actually, leaving the station in good health. Yeah, I think so. I think I'd also say Andy's had pretty much a good run at Radio mm. One. He's got a good balance, I think, between the station being popular and targeting under 25s and being a public service network. And that's a hard thing to get right. I mean, it's the one thing that you always get knocked about. You always it, get you? knocked. And I think he's got knocked in both at, in both mm. points. This probably means he's probably got it just about right here and there. There have been, you know, one or two lumps and bumps, you know, along the line. But I think overall, you look at Andy, longest serving controller ever of Radio One. It's 44 year history. I think he's had a good tenure. He leaves it in good health. I think there are some talent issues to deal with you mentioned about Moyles because well, no, no, he signed, they've signed he's signed a new um, contract uh, keeping him at the station until 2014 uh, is that a bit of you know uh, is that something of a you know that, that, does that tie the hands of his, of his successor it does but I think the successor whoever that person will be will be quite pleased about that because they haven't got to immediately walk into the job and deal with who's going to do the breakfast show which is right. obviously the biggest single so, I, show so you can see it's one thing not to worry about one thing not to worry about uh, and I mean at the end of the day also there's no obvious successor I and mean, Moyles is still doing really well Although he's approaching 40, he's still doing a good job. He's got good figures. I think he's liked by the audience. And there's no real obvious successor, possibly Greg James, who's the guy who came straight from hospital radio a few years ago, student radio a few years ago. But, you know, Scott Mills in the afternoon drive time, he's probably getting towards the end of his sell-by date. You know, you couldn't put... um, Well, he probably is. I mean, you know, he's he's doing a good job, but I think he's probably coming towards the end of his time on Radio 1. So there are some talent issues to to deal with. And and so at least with The Breakfast Show, the new person coming in knows that's secure. Yeah, who do we think? It could be Ben Cooper, do you think, uh, the current deputy? Well, I think we should think about this in the context of um, the report that was done by John Myers, where, you know, he suggested that, you know, all the networks should go into one building. And and out of that was the suggestion maybe there should be a common management for all the BBC's popular networks. Now, the fact that Bob 
Bob Shen and has immediately got control of popular music and has also got Asian Network straight away. You know, power's already moving towards Bob. So you it could isn't, not isn't replace meant, him. You well, could just, just might keep, not replace yeah. him. Might have an editor who reports into a bigger, you yeah. know, overall popular music controller. So I think we shouldn't assume that there's another controller. And he might indeed be the last dedicated Radio 1 controller. Mm. I, I, I know that, um, uh, that when he was on, the, on, on this podcast, Tim Davies said that, he would, that, that, that they would have separate, separate controllers. But there's, a, there's controllers and controllers, aren't they? But he couldn't say anything else. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's a fantastic story, isn't it? So, of yeah. course, he'd say that. And in between that and now, we've got a new chairman of the BBC, Chris Patton, who says that he wants the senior managers to be reduced from 3% yeah. of the total to 1%. So I think one has to read into this departure, uh, this, uh, whether, whether or not it's been a factor or not, the fact that the BBC's management structure is going to be drastically slimmed down. Yeah. Totally agree. And even in BBC Radio, there are still a lot of middle managers. There's definitely room to keep the frontline service in place and remove some middle management, right. even in radio. You would know. You, you used to be one of them, wouldn't you? I did, and I, I left before they delayed me. Quite, <laughs> quite a lot, <laughs> like a while ago. Um, John, what, um, uh, what was, now what the DQF has Mark Thompson uh, been saying this week about the potential merge, merger of Five Live and uh, local radio? Well, he has ruled out the uh, possibility that Five Live will uh, merge some of its output with local radio, which kind of struck most people as a bit balmy uh, anyway. Um, this, is d- this is delivering quality first. That's right. This is, um, this is his Explain the joke. big brain initiative, yes, to cut uh, and to make 20% of uh, cost savings, uh, which will be presented, I think, to the Trust uh, next month, the final the, w- findings. The, the thing with this, with DQF, is that the, there's all these, because they're having this sort of quite public consultation and all these all these ideas get floated these bar, barmy ideas get floated and then they all get knocked down which one which are the ones that they're going to do they're going to have to do something aren't they to, to that, there's a lot of you know quality to, to, to deliver first i.e cuts to be made aren't there there's got to be savings and the, the big thing is will he have to cut services or, or won't he and he and a sort of email to staff before uh, before some of them before some of them went on summer holiday and he probably definitely went on summer holiday he said uh, we haven't ruled out service closures uh, but the work so far suggests there's a smarter way of making savings without taking inside entire services away from the public so we haven't definitely ruled them out, but we probably won't do any closure. Yeah. So it doesn't really help, it doesn't move things on too much. I'm amazed they're operating like this in this sort of public forum, particularly after the six music debacle. I mean, you know, for goodness sake, Mark Thompson, you're the DG, you're paid a fortune. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, can you not, with your managers, have a much more thought-through strategy before you declare what you might or might one. not do? Quick, you know, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's what the job is. It's a big job. He's paid, well paid, you know, get on with it. It's yes. been a year. Oh, no, it's been a year. Let's do one other radio story. Ashley Tabor, uh, who's the executive um, president of Global Radio. I think that's his title, executive president. Uh, it is. I mean, he's the founder yeah, and the sub- he's still the chief executive, really. Global Radio. Uh, he's been named the new, the new chairman of the Radio Academy, taking over from Bob Shannon, uh, with John Myers, of course, as chief executive, means that there's quite a commercial feel to the, to the radio. Academy. Well, I think this is great. I think one of the risks with Global, I mean, and Ashley's a real maverick, and he's done some very interesting things with Global. I mean, you know, I think what he's doing is probably quite exciting but I think there was a risk Ashley might not be involved in things like the Radio Academy which could be seen as maybe a bit BBC and a little bit maybe stayed John Myers and Ashley Table that's a dynamic force very oh. different individuals both from commercial radio but actually is a very positive result for the Radio and Academy and I know that, that Ashley Table was very sniffy about the Radio, radio Academy to begin with he, he didn't was. like it because do you remember there was that radio festival where none of them turned up from, from Global and there radio. was hardly anyone from Global there at yeah. all I mean clearly that's not going to be the case I think having Ashley Table Nothing representing to do with the fact that it was in Nottingham 
Well, I mean, he, he's got stations in that region, yeah. so uh, not as lovely. Apart from that, there's no there's no air conditioning in the hotels. That's, That's the problem. Right. I had a problem with yeah. Anyway, the worst but, hotel I've but, ever stayed in. Oh, appalling! The important thing is that the biggest commercial group has got to be behind the the Radio Academy. Otherwise, the Radio Academy won't have a future. And yes. the Radio Academy does very good, important work. So I think it's a big, big tick. You know, I, you know I, that, that hotel. I can't remember what that name of that hotel was. But do you know what? You know, I won. I won a trip to stay in it again. <laughs> Did you really? No, because you know, you know, when you go out, to, when you go out to these places, sometimes you can drop your business card and you, in, 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 a, in a. And you actually did it. I know, well, Ben, producer Ben did, and he well, won, well, won us another week there. Well, well I, I asked, "Is there air conditioning?" And the guy said, "You can open the windows." <laughs> <laughs> right. We, you wouldn't expect us to get through uh, the show without some mention of Murdoch uh, and hacking and all the rest of it. Quick, quick, quick update on what's been gone on, going on since we last met. Uh, now the former editor of the News of the World, Colin Myler, and News International's recently resigned top lawyer, Tom Crone, have, have uh, issued a statement, a very interesting statement, which came out last week, saying that they thought that James Murdoch was not absolutely telling the whole truth uh, to the select committee, which has had a bit of ramifications. Uh, and then there's, there's a lot of mud being flung in the, in the direction of Piers Morgan, uh, all, all of which he's denied. They're trying to make it, they're trying to get Piers involved in, in, the, in the idea that he might have been involved in phone hacking as well. And um, uh, now there's nothing in the book that, uh, that would, would suggest it but uh, Guido Fawkes has been rummaging around and has pick, picked up a uh, I think it might have been a Mail on Sunday column certainly a, 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 a newspaper column from a, a few years ago in which he describes listening to a, a being played a, a voicemail of, uh, of um, Paul McCartney but none, none of this is sticking is it at the moment? Well, no, he's, he's, he's uh, been uh, very clear in his statements that, that he hasn't uh, been involved but I, I, I my feeling is really that the Levinson inquiry into double-headed inquiry into standards will have to look beyond the news of the world and uh, and in fact Le- Le- Levinson in his indeed, statement this yes. week has said that he will and, and I, I think Trinity Mirror themselves are looking at the um, at the issue as well that's as far as we can as far as I know at this moment in time but uh, I mean th- there's a feeling isn't there really that as the um, uh, press became ever more desperate, really, to sell copies of papers that um, the conduct has deteriorated over the years, or maybe has gone back to the sort of 1980s, mm. free for all, before, okay, phone hacking was so rife, but when uh, all sorts of things, you know, went on, skullduggery and all the rest of it. Which you were never involved in, my I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like it how Piers Morgan has, has he's put out a statement dismissing all his critics as drunks, former drug, drug addicts and liars. Um, it's... Um, uh, he's quite keen, I think, to keep hold of his CNN spot, which is very lucrative. I think this is the, this is the issue. I think he's a bit vulnerable because the ratings haven't been that great, the reviews are bad, and there's quite a lot of people who, who would like who would like him out in uh, in in America. And he's desperate to hang on. So we'll see if he does. Um, but actually, you know, um, it could be that attention might swing away from Piers Morgan back to his old friend Rebecca Brooks because I've just been uh, literally just handed the latest Guardian story on the hacking scandal and uh, the Guardian is reporting that uh, the News of the World targeted the phone of uh, Sarah Payne's mother. Now, Sarah Payne, you remember, was uh, the schoolgirl who was murdered by uh, Roy Whiting in 2000 and her mother, Sarah Payne, uh, went on to become, you know, one of the big symbols of the News of the World's campaigns and she even wrote a column in the, if I'm remembering correctly, in the final edition of the News of the World and now it appears that, um, uh, well, police had originally told her that her name was not amongst those recorded in the notes of Glenn Mulcair but now it does seem um, that, th- that that her personal details were amongst the investigators' 
notes. And the most extraordinary line in this story is that it, the, the investigation that the police are conducting appears to relate to a phone that was given to Ms. Payne by Rebecca Brooks uh, as a gift in order to keep in touch with her uh, with her colleagues and with, with her supporters. So, uh, well, and it's been described as a new low by Tom Watson, the campaigning MP. MP and um, well, I don't think there's much more that can be said about that, is there? Uh, you can keep up to date with that story and all the rest of the uh, news on phone hacking and the other stories that we've discussed at mediaguardian.co.uk. Uh, we'll finish this week, as we uh, often do, by talking television. I wanted to have a quick run around ITV's announcement that it's going to launch its uh, micropayments system for uh, the ITV player in the new year. Chief Executive Adam Crozier said the broadcaster would, will offer a range of ways for people to pay to watch shows online uh, in uh, its improved version of the ITV player. It, of course, has rights to Coronation Street, The Only Way is Essex, they think people will pay for, uh, X Factor, uh, and other gems like Loose Women and 60 Minute Makeover. Um, do you think that... Do you think that this is um, this is an interesting development, Matthew? Well, it will, is, and of course, remember the five-year plan is because Channel Four. They, sorry, I've interrupted you after four words. So that's terrible. Carry on. No, I mean the the the, the, the recovery plan for uh, ITV is that uh, half of its income over five years will eventually come from other sources than spot advertising and sponsorship. And we have the same thing going on, as you, I think, trying to say at Channel 4, where they're looking at ways of monetizing their audiences in different ways. Because Channel 4 did do this to start with, didn't they? Yes, and then it didn't work. Channel 4 launched 4OD, and it was $1.99 a show, and and then then it didn't work. work It It was obviously rather ambitiously priced. Mm. Um, I noted today, though, that um, SES, the satellite operator, um, announced that um, three transponders are going to be extra transponders, are going to be leased by ITV, which suggests they're planning yet more uh, digital distribution of of programming. Uh, But listening to Crozier yesterday, what struck me was that A, uh, they've delayed um, a, a micropayments uh, launch from the autumn to the new year. Secondly, it's going to be a soft launch because they don't appear to know themselves exactly what people are prepared to pay for. Hmm. That was my overriding impression. Now, there are proposals here I see uh, in, the, in today's times for uh, the Rugby World Cup um, coverage to be uh, made available uh, on, on iPads uh, for some sorts of fees. But I was struck not so much by the fact that they knew what they were going to do. They, they probably know about the micropayment system, but they were not sure about what people were prepared to pay for. I think it's still in the experimental stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. On the, on the SES Astra, what's very interesting is I think it's probably more HD channels because right. they're very space segment heavy. So three transponders probably means it's more HD channels. Well, that's good news in Which itself. is good news. But on, on the micropayments, there's no real model in the world with television that's proven for micropayments because it's just too complicated people just don't really understand it and they've got to make a decision i'm going to pay you know 49 euro cents or a quid or whatever to this program and it just doesn't sort of seem to it's, work uh, it's got to be easy hasn't it um, yeah, so you have to, you'll have hard. to presumably uh, uh, they'll, they'll have to have some sort of system where you enter your credit card or, or how will that work or something or some sort of pre-loaded money card mm. or, or an account or something where money's deducted i mean the, the announcement seems to be somewhat vague i mean they, they say they don't really know what content's going to be made available 
available. They don't really know what the payment mechanism is going to be, and there's no, nothing about the pricing. So this seems so to me to be a bit of a... Mud, then, really. it, well, it looks like a punt by Adam Crozier to say we're doing something, but we haven't quite decided. Right. In contrast to the BBC iPlayer, you know, launching in 11 countries with a defined price point of 6.99, pre-roll advertising to pay for it, and a long list of the content that's going to be on there. So, you know, I think the BBC iPlayer going global is far more likely to work, and that model is the right one. I think ITV has probably got this wrong. Mm. And the reputation of the ITV player could hardly be lower, I don't think. You know, looking at some of the responses on the Media Guardian story today, people saying, you know, it constantly breaks down, you get halfway through, it starts at the beginning again. And also, you know, I have to watch the ads, so I've already paid for it in one sense, and you expect me to, uh, yeah. uh, you know, stump up twice. So. There's, you know a high level of, there's a high yeah. level of resistance to the yeah. idea of paying for ITV content, and that's the, 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 the gate they've got to somehow open and get through. It's got through. to be totally compelling. It has, it? and, I mean, and I frankly, mean, re-watching, pro- watching X Factor or Britain's Got Talent again is not enough, you know. Do you pay for the only way is Essex, John? Uh, I pay not to watch it. Um, it depends on micro, the micro payments are, doesn't yes. it? And to how many decimal points is this going to work? All right. Well, the, uh, the fat lady is warming up her larynx, but before she finally breaks into song, uh, Maggie, uh, Paul and John, I just want to find out what, uh, what you've learned from your last seven days in the uh, media village. Maggie, well, you're back newly refreshed. Yes, well, I, I went to the leaving do of David Mannion, who's the editor-in-chief of ITV News, and um, I most definitely picked up there a great deal of anxiety about the future of ITV. ITN, uh, where it would seem to me that um, the plan at ITV is at some point, and probably not in the distant future now, to buy out the other shareholders, which uh, ITV owns mm. 40%. But I'm um, surprised they haven't done that before. Well, I think it's partly because of price, isn't it, really? Mm. And uh, ITN uh, made, I think, £400,000 of profit, wafer-thin profits. So the question is really... What happens with the pension fund deficit? Does ITV even get paid for taking on these minority stakes? Uh, but there's a huge sensitivity around the place that Mannion is not being replaced. And remember, we're talking about a news organisation that um, can stand shoulder to shoulder with BBC News and Sky News um, and expects uh, you know, to be treated as a, as a serious independent body that's been around 56 years. Great worry that um, you know, it, without an editor-in-chief, uh, uh, it could be... Um, perhaps not quite so um, independent mm. and almost uh, power diminished. Uh, and, and you know, separate from the commercial realities of ITV2. I mean, the best outcome actually for it would be probably if it could be some standalone, if wholly owned unit of yeah. ITV, but with um, some guarantees really about uh, you know not being put under any kind of undue pressure. Well, that's a lot, lot of things we've learned. Um, what uh, what have you learned this week, Paul? Well, I, I've not been travelling very much, but I have been away. <laughs> I, did, I did. I You're did go. Always away. I'm always away. I did go to. Robinson. I did go to to Korea, and in fact, I won't talk about this. But I went to the border, which was very very interesting. Oh, right. Because actually, as you look over the border, they tell you to stop taking photographs, and, right. and it really is quite interesting. But anyway, yeah. the thing I learned was this. You would have gone um, south to north, presumably. Uh, <laughs> south to north. I did go under the tunnels where you can actually go right underneath because, you know, the, the North Koreans built tunnels to try and actually uh, land forces into right. Seoul. But, I mean, that, anyway. the reason I mention this is this, that um, mobile television, I've been very sceptical about mobile television. I'm yeah. not sure mobile television has a future. But I saw it in South Korea, but not um, on a mobile phone, actually in cars. 
And there are many, many cars with mobile phones fitted, mobile televisions fitted where the radio would be. Yes. And it is perfectly legal to drive with, with the, the telly, telly on. And the picture quality is beautiful. It's all IP streamed. Wow. Uh, and it is just How? beautiful broadcast quality. So I was watching the news in Korean at the front of the car while the yes. driver is watching it while I'm driving me to say, the I hotel. I bet you weren't driving. I knew I you was had not. Driver. I was being driven to the hotel. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, apparently it's totally legal and there's no evidence it causes lots of accidents. Oh, funny. That'll, that'll never happen here. John. What, what have you found out? What are you laughing at? Well, uh, is it, is it, does it not cut out when you go over a certain speed? Absolutely no cutting out at all. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It was actually, it looked HD quality. I mean, it was just beautiful. I was thinking, you know, gosh, the quality of it stuff must be, watching... Don't they have, like, you know, amazing well, generation phones and all Yeah, 100 megabit is normal for, for yeah, internet. For broadband, yeah. 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 I was watching uh, police camera action on a, a six-foot widescreen on my TV, but it turns out I was just looking through the windscreen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> dum, dum. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what I learned this week, well, my, my TV viewing, because of domestic circumstances, is time-shifted, so I just watched Exile. This is how far I am behind. The, the John syndrome. <laughs> yes. That was hugely disappointing. Uh, and uh, what I learned is that ER without George Clooney is, is better than ER with George Clooney. That's really? my controversial finding, yeah, because I'm, I'm working my way through uh, 14 series. Thank you very much. Midway through series six. And Where are you? Dr. Oh, yeah. Carter's just been stabbed by a <laughs> schizophrenic... No. No. Behind you. So uh, I'm very excited. Uh, six o'clock tonight, I shall be watching. This will keep you. Uh, this will keep you up to date for eight. Well, for too much CBBS does. For about you. a year's worth you know, <laughs> of, 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 of all the shows Sky Atlantic has. I'm just watching one program on it. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, well, are you going to have time to present a um, uh, media talk? Because this is the big announcement that I can make that you're you're, you're taking over. Oh presenting. well, fant- I had no idea. Thank you very much, Matt. Oh. <laughs> this is, I, I, I just want to thank my manager. And, uh, <laughs> well, I should say that yes. It is, the, it is the last media talk that I'm presenting. Time to get out your hankies. Uh, it's been five and a half years, uh, 257 shows, apparently. Hasn't he come on well? Oh, yes, he has. Well, I have come on well. Since He's the, well-groomed now for the, the US. 27th of March, uh, 2006, when we sounded a bit embarrassed in a broom cupboard in Farringdon Road. Uh, we, well, we've covered all the big stories from Saxgate to, Saxgate to Hatgate. Uh, we've won two Cerny Awards, sadly none, none of them gold. Uh, <laughs> we've been to locations as glamorous as Oxford, Salford, and we did go to Doha, that was quite glamorous uh, and not once have we been have we been sued for libel uh, now we haven't always got it right and we've definitely paid far too little attention to things outside of north london but it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and i'll miss it very very much especially when i'm sat alone in my manhattan loft obviously i'll miss it a lot then uh, john plunkett as i said will be taking over the microphone duties when uh, media talk resumes at the end of august um so for the very last time i'll sign off by saying uh, media talk is produced by ben green and i couldn't have asked for a more dedicated talented and handsome producer who writes very good scripts uh, I <laughs> wrote that too. Um, I've been Matt Wells. Thanks for everything. Goodbye. Oh, look at this. It's fl- is it fl- it's flowers? Where did you, you got them from the garage over the road, didn't you? <laughs> a pack of peanuts, which I love, and some cheap, some cheap Tesco carver. Thank you very much. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.